Hello, friend, and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, and design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week, I bring you a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. This is the only CBD company I have come to really trust with my wellness. They have zero THC, meaning you can't get high from their products. They're organically farmed and they're gluten-free. I love sleep and when I don't get it, I feel like my entire day, my entire week, my entire life is thrown off. And during these times of stress, I started taking Soul CBD's Sleepy Gummy before bed, and I swear by them. Most nights, all I need is a half of a gummy, and these little babes have put my sleepless nights behind me. With one delicious fruity bite, their unique blend of CBD, CBN, and terpenes helps you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and improve your overall quality of sleep. I always wake up refreshed. It's my new bedtime bestie. So our friends over at Soul CBD, I contacted them and I got a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to ashleystall.com slash soul. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash S-O-U-L to access our special page with them. And don't forget to use the code U-Turn at checkout. That's Y-O-U T-U-R-N. Now let's get in to this week's episode. What's going on, U-Turn friends? Okay, so we are bringing one of my favorite people back on the show, Max Louisvere. And if you don't remember his original episode when his book came out called Genius Foods, he has another book coming out now, and it is so much more than a cookbook. He's a New York Times bestselling author, a top health podcaster. His show is called Genius Life. It was nice enough to have me on there. He's featured all the time on Dr. Oz, Rachel Ray, um, and he was once a journalist for Al Gore's current TV, and now he speaks on how new nutrition correlates to peak performance. And, um, you know, you can excel your career with motivation and tenacity, but what you eat every day obviously is a big deal for your energy, for your concentration, for your mood. Not enough people are really, I think, looking at nutrition as the edge. And this is where Max kind of comes in. And when he's not doing that, you know, he's busy dealing with me as his friend and so many people that love him and his new book, Genius Kitchen, uh, it is going to be out March 29th, 2022. So I'll be airing this right around then. Um, and he provides scientific insights coupled with nutritious recipes that you can make to enhance your performance at work every day. Okay. Hi, Max. Welcome back. Wow. What an intro. That was so sweet. You know, you got, you really are doing it. And, and you're one of those rare people where you're just being who you are. And so the success kind of looks easy because you're just being you like, what's your secret? You just love what you do. I love what I do. I, um, I've, I've had two major loves in my life. Uh, and one of them is health and nutrition and the other is art, which includes music and cinema. So, um, so those are, that's it really. I'm a big music nerd. I'm a big cinemaphile and I'm just obsessed with health and nutrition and fitness and, you know, all the ways that we can 
uh, tweak our diets and lifestyles for better performance, as you mentioned, but also to increase our health spans, to increase our lifespans. And uh, it's literally what I eat, breathe, dream about, think about. I'm constantly Googling. It's my yeah. life. I'm obsessed. Okay. So outside of this, since we're friends, I just want to know what you're up to that we can tell everybody like, what are you doing? That's not this, because I feel like you're pretty, you've got that genius life. You have a community right now. You've got your cookbook coming out. What have you been up to? Uh, I know I see you on your little travels with our friends. Yeah. Like my extracurricular activities. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love travel. Uh, although, you know, we've been, travel's been kind of, there's been a kibosh on travel for many yeah. of us for the past for the past two years. So I'm not really traveling as much as I'd like to internationally. I love getting out of the country. Um, I, you know, getting to go to Europe or South America where I've spent some time always so incredible in terms of widening your lens yeah, and, totally. and, and gaining a sense of perspective, not only on the outside world, like the world beyond Los Angeles for me, which is where I live, but you gain new insights into who you are when you travel. So, well, so we're so, on the street. Is that you're thinking about moving? Are you moving? I am uh, likely staying put in LA for the time being. Although I guess the next the next best options for me would be either Austin or Miami. Um, more likely Austin than Miami, just because we've got uh, a lot of mutual friends in Austin. It's also the podcast. It's becoming quickly the podcasting epicenter of the world. Yeah. And as you mentioned, I, I host my own podcast called The Genius Life, and so it, it could make sense to spend some time there. But LA is a great city. I like that it's the it's in many ways the cultural epicenter of the world, right? Like this is Hollywood. This is where Media, dreams come yeah. true. So yeah, true. Stories, stories are told. And, and I like being a part of that. I like being a part of that. There's something about, you know, being here and the proximity to the, the, you know, the TV, the film industry, the music industry. That, You're so meant for it. Uh, you just look like a TV character to me, Max. And you've, you've been <laughs> like that since you. So you started your, I remember when you started your brand, you were very much someone passionate. And one of the loves of your life also, I know, is your mom. Um, yeah. And she really influenced you in the health space. So can you tell us a little bit about what is going on in the landscape right now with nutrition, with health, with brain health? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing this is kind of out of maybe a swim lane that you talk in, but I have had more friends dealing with, and, and you know, all of them dealing with infertility and challenges with having babies. And I can't help but think a lot of the times, like, I wonder if this has something to do with all the weird Doritos and I mean, not that's Doritos, but like weird processed food that I ate when I was a kid. So I would love just your take and a snapshot right now of what you're seeing, especially because there's a lot of trends, right? Like there's like granola bars that are actually just a bunch of sugar and not really helping you, but they look like they want to be healthy, but they're not. And it's a trick. So can you just kind of talk me through what you're seeing in the landscape? Yeah. I mean, especially when it comes to fertility, there's a lot that's going on. I mean, we're, we're exposed to um, an incredible amount of uh, compounds called endocrine disrupting compounds um, on a daily basis, something like 1400 compounds that we're exposed to on a, on a, on a continual basis that have the ability to mess with our hormones, the network of messenger chemicals in our body that regulate everything from neurodevelopment to growth, to fat storage, to energy metabolism, satiety, but also yes, fertility, libido, things like that. Um, these compounds, some of them act like uh, estrogen. Many of them act like estrogen in the body, especially the ones that we are most frequently exposed to. And these tend to be plasticizing compounds. Many of your listeners, I'm sure, have heard of BPA. BPA is being removed from plastic um, bottles now that proudly exclaim BPA-free, but that doesn't mean that they're bisphenol-free. 
And so they're being replaced now. It's almost become a, a game of chemical whack-a-mole where where they're removing BPA because that's the compound that consumers are aware of and they're replacing them with other compounds that act very similarly and there's no evidence to believe that they're safer, but it pacifies the, you know, the 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 consumer at the point of sale. Non-stick pans, for example, contain compounds that um, are usually safe in the context of proper uh, cookware care, which I actually talk about in the new book, Genius Kitchen, but we throw them in our dishwashers, we stack metal pots on top of them, leads to scraping, leads to degradation, ends up with some of these molecules entering um, entering the foods that we're eating and then ultimately into us. We have fast food, packaged food that are full of compounds called phthalates. We put compounds, uh, we put chemicals with endocrine disrupting compounds on our skin and our mm-hmm. skin is an organ that is porous. So we're exposed to any number of endocrine disrupting chemicals on a daily basis, which affect fertility both for men and for women, but then the food supply has changed and we're now overindulging on sugar sweetened products. The average person today consumes about 77 grams of added sugar per day. Wow. And there have been studies that have shown that one single sugar sweetened beverage can reduce testosterone by 25% that wow. persists for about two hours. Yeah. I think a lot of time, a lot of times the, fer- the fertility conversation gets offloaded onto women, right? But yeah. men play a role in this as well. Yeah. yeah it's not fair. Takes right? two to like, tango. Like if you're shooting blanks, like the woman can be fertile as hell, and nothing's going to happen. A hundred percent. So men have to be involved in this conversation. Yeah. So whether it's the our exposure to endocrine disrupting compounds, whether it's the our over consumption of products with added sugar, or maybe it's even the adoption of a diet that we think is doing our health favors, but in actuality is not. For example, people who are on low-fat diets, this is common in a lot of people that adopt vegan and vegetarian diets, you see declines in testosterone, um, which is important, again, for fertility. So, yeah, many, many variables to to try to control, but um, my perspective is to do what you can to control the controllable, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to control all of the invisible, persistent environmental toxins that we're exposed to because we are members of the modern world. We're not hermits living like the Unabomber out in the middle of the woods, right? We're, 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 we're partaking in the trappings. Yeah. To each his own. Yeah. I mean, you may <laughs> Maybe choose you wanna. to live like an ascetic. Maybe you yeah. want to. Yeah. Well, tell me a little you bit know. about what are some quick wins. Then I want to ask you a lot about your recipes. And, and also you said the average person, you know, whoever that person is, they're having 77 grams of sugar in a day. How many grams do you feel like is reasonable? If, if you're kind of talking to a friend that you care about and you don't want to be so health focused that you're not being potentially real with a, you know, a sweet tooth kind of person, you know, me and my snacks and it's max. Um, yeah. So what would you say like, Hey, if you're listening to this and you reduce your sugar to this many grams per day, you're doing pretty good at at just one (laughs) modification. Yeah. It's, it's hard for me to make a one size fits all recommendation. Although I'll say that, um, a little bit of added sugar here and there is not a big deal. The issue with added sugar though, is that it's insidious and it's in everything. It's in all forms of packaged processed foods. So I would say to do the best you can towards minimizing your consumption of processed foods and you absolutely shouldn't be drinking. So if we can, if we can move the needle for people with this one recommendation, I think people shouldn't be drinking sugar sweetened beverages. It's a major problem. The the issue with sugar sweetened beverages is that they have no capacity to satiate you. And so you can be consuming all of your daily calories in terms of food and then easily throw 500 calories worth of sugar 
with your sugar sweetened beverages, whether it's fruit juice or diet or, um, you know, sodas, soft drinks and things like that. And, and that's like literally just like added calories from high fructose corn syrup, uh, generally. Um, and that's not, yeah, that's not beneficial. Sugar sweetened beverages, I think are, are probably the worst. Okay. Um, due to the, due to just like how rapidly that sugar is absorbed, our body has no sense of how to handle that sugar absorbed so rapidly. Um, cause it's just so unnatural, right? If we're talking about sugar found in dark chocolate, for example, I'm totally a fan of dark chocolate. That's fine. If we're talking about sugar found naturally in whole fruit, totally fine. I would say to, to just minimize it, to do the best that you can and to not drink your calories. Well, I know a lot of doctors that I've had have said, like, get rid of the high sugar fruits and go with the low glycemic berries. Is that kind of your thinking? Or do you tend to say a mango is just as, you know, I'm going to have my mango and I'm going to have my blueberry. Like, how do you, where do you draw the line? Yeah. I think that low sugar fruits are amazing. Um, and depending on the person, you know, I think, uh, eating a banana occasionally is fine, but, um, but yeah, I, I think I'm in agreement with the the notion that like some of our some tropical fruits in particular, they're bred to contain more sugar than ever before in human history. Like if you compare a, a, a modern banana to an, an, one of our ancestral bananas, like an ancient banana, you can see them sometimes when you're traveling. I was in Hawaii and they have these like little tiny bananas. That's like what the ancient banana most likely looked yeah. like. You can actually Google this. You can Google like a, you know, like a wild banana They're They don't look anything like modern bananas. Yeah. So if you're sedentary and you're sitting like all day behind a desk and you're snacking on bananas, I mean, is it better than eating candy out of your office's candy bowl? Yes. And also there's a satiating effect of whole fruit, no matter what the fruit is, right? Because they contain varying degrees of fiber, like a banana, depending on how ripe it is, can contain resistant starch, which is actually really good for you um, and feeds gut bacteria. So, I mean, if you if you like bananas, try to get one that's like not as ripe. Um, they contain fiber. They contain water. It's a whole food matrix. So, it's going to be satiating and more self-limiting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I do think that you can overdo it with bananas. Bananas still contain calories. Grapes, for example. Grapes are very, very sweet these days. Yeah. and You know, if you're sedentary and dealing with issues related to blood sugar regulation, if you're overweight, is sitting around gorging on grapes all day going to be the right thing for you? I'm not sure. I'd rather see that person stick to lower sugar fruits, which are, you know, lower sugar, but going to be lower calorie in general. Hey, U-Turners, this episode is sponsored in part by our friends over at Athletic Greens. And what I love the most about them is that their products are not only carbon neutral, but they taste amazing. I started taking Athletic Greens because I really wanted to get all the nutrients and vitamins possible in one swoop. And I just couldn't bring myself to drink all those green vegetable smoothies that taste like the grass. So I wanted something that actually tastes good and was perfect for me. And I've been on Athletic Greens for a few weeks now, and I am just loving it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. You know, it has kind of a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to every morning. And with one scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. So this really special blend of ingredients is so supportive for your gut health, 
your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, anti-aging, all the things. Right now, it is so time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially as we're in flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. I even throw mine in my smoothie. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash U-turn. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And they're giving one year of vitamin D that is so insane with your first order. I'm so excited for you to check it out. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Well, so speaking of last time I was at your place in LA, you had some fun little snacks in the fridge for me. You had the blueberries with dark chocolate. And I think that recipe is in your cookbook. Am I right? It is. Yeah. Wow. I remember when you tasted that, but that, it, to me, that feels like it was such a long time ago. It was such a you. long time ago. It was multiple yeah. years ago. It was like early into the pandemic. Um, and yeah. I remember you were like, I'm working on a cookbook. And I'm like, of course you are. You had so much, your kitchen was full of all this shit and you were just like making magic happen in there. So can you tell us a little bit about, let's say, I, I know there's a lot of information around what we should stop doing. Like, don't do this, don't eat that. And it's helpful. And, and usually that's the answer, right? It's not about finding a solution. Sometimes it's about stopping the problem. Yeah. But um, what are some foods that you think when you were in your cookbook were like power foods. And I know we talked about that in your genius foods book, but anything new that you could share and anyone listening, if you're interested, his episode is early on in the U-Turn podcast feed, definitely listen to it. Um, but what did you learn making this cookbook and what um, are some superfoods that you're even more excited about after having cooked with them? Yeah. Well, the cookbook is loaded with foods that are easy to find low cost. I mean, that was, that was, I think, the major impetus for me to write not just genius foods, but this book, you know, a lot of, especially people in the wellness world, they get obsessed with these, these quote unquote superfoods that are really hard to find. They're really expensive. But for me, the true superfoods of the supermarket are, well, first of all, you have to be able to have access to them, right? They should be within the range of affordability and they should be highly nutrient dense and satiating. And so those are the foods that my recipes are built around. So these are all low cost, easy to prepare, super delicious recipes using the most nutrient dense foods in the supermarket that are going to boost the way that your brain functions in the here and now, support mental health, and also protect your brain as it ages. Um, I would say the most surprising findings uh, that I uncovered while writing this book, because it is a two-in-one book, it is a, it's a cookbook, but it's also a wellness guide. It's just how important slowing down while eating is. And this idea that digestion really begins before you take the first bite. As you're sitting down at the table, to uh, dialing in essentially the rest and digest state of your autonomic nervous system by taking a few deep breaths, breathing with your nose in particular, as opposed to mouth breathing can really prime your body for the calorie onslaught that's about to come. Um, you prime your body for digestion and metabolism, which is so important. And this is actually called the cephalic phase of digestion. So cephalic means head. And that's where digestion begins when you're observing, smelling your food. And then when you take your first bite, you know, digestion, the physical process of digestion begins in the mouth. So we have enzymes in our saliva 
that are really important for breaking down starches. If you're not chewing your food properly, you can end up with starches um, that are only partially digested digested and this could lead to digestive discomfort mm-hmm. um could, could set up this could set the stage for conditions like SIBO small intestinal bacterial overgrowth where you know bacteria are are able to ferment fibers and stuff in the small intestine leading to their overgrowth which could create problems like bloating which nobody wants but in particular there is a world of nutrition that gets unlocked from our food by simply slowing down as you chew them. So, you know, if we look to cruciferous vegetables, some of the most important compounds in veggies like broccoli, Brussels sprouts are created when we actually break apart the cell walls in these Mm. plants and allow for um, this chemical uh, conjoining of compounds in in the produce. Like in the case of cruciferous vegetables, we have a compound called glucoraphanin, which combines with an enzyme called myrosinase to create a new compound called sulforaphane. Now, you don't have to remember this chemistry, but sulforaphane has been shown to be a potent anti-cancer agent. It's been shown to reduce inflammation by stimulating our body's own uh, detox pathways, like the NRF2 pathway. Um, it's does that happen like chewing? Is that what you're saying with like breaking down the, the cell walls? Is that through like slow chewing or what do you mean by that yeah yeah. you have to actually like slow down and chew your food this is an episode for me you're just having like a smackdown with me right now because i'm just (laughs) i inhale everything i eat well i wanted to look into this because i i do too i'm a fast eater as well but Hmm. i think that there's there's definitely and i feel better when i slow down and i take more time with chewing my food but you're shortchanging the ability of your food to have a neuroprotective a cardioprotective effect unless you slow down while chewing those foods. So sulforaphane is this amazing compound that's being studied in labs across the United States and ultimately across the world, right? But sulforaphane doesn't exist in a piece of broccoli until you chew it. It's created in your mouth once you start breaking apart the cell walls to create this compound. Because sulforaphane is created by plants as a means of warding off predators, right? Like plants can't defend themselves from predation the way that an animal can. Plants don't have nails, they don't have teeth, they can't run, right? So they become chemists and they create these compounds that if you're an insect gnawing away at a broccoli stalk, right? These two compounds get created in the mouth of the insect and it's toxic to that insect. We're obviously much more robust than, you know, one of these smaller organisms. And so for us, the compound doesn't actually end up being toxic in the sense that it's harmful, but it creates what's called a hormetic effect. And hormesis is the biological term whereby uh, something that's that could be potential is potentially dangerous at a high dose is actually beneficial at a low dose. Beneficial stress. It's one of the reasons why exercise is so good for us, sitting in a sauna, an ice bath, for example. But this happens um, from a chemical standpoint with the foods that we eat when we eat certain phytochemicals found in plants. Mm, so interesting. Okay. So yeah. let's say someone is a sweet tooth and they don't really want to, um, cu- you know, go too far down the vegetable path, but they know that they need to have some, what are your like top two or three? Is it Brussels sprouts and broccoli? Like I also, one thing that shocked me to learn, and do you remember that I I'm started to eat healthier? Did I mention this to you ever since my tick bite? Cause it's happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So one of the biggest things that I've learned is when you eat vegetables, like I used to think having five to seven or whatever the servings are per day, whatever it means that it'd be like, I need to eat a lot of broccoli today. But my doctor helped me understand, no, you need diversity. You need multiple colors and every different color of vegetable reflects different uh, benefits. So can you talk a little bit about 
what, what is the best way for us to get the bang for our buck with eating vegetables? Um, what are some simple suggestions you have, whether it's a recipe, um, or it's just, you know, a way of preparing it. Um, I know we're all overworked and burned out in this pandemic. So what can we do to just get our little veggie boost and not be miserable about it? Yeah. I'm convinced that people who don't like vegetables simply haven't had tasty vegetables. They don't know how to cook them. Um, and I think part of this has to do with the fact that over the past couple of decades, there's been a war on salt in this country and salting your food properly. First of all, this is one of the big, ask any chef, what is the single biggest mistake that home chefs make? They undersalt their food. Salt is so crucially important to taking a single ingredient food or a single ingredient, uh, item from the supermarket and turning it into food, right? I mean, if you have a piece of red meat, right? It's not a steak until you add salt to it. And the same applies for vegetables. Vegetables, broccoli isn't food until it's seasoned properly. Right. And so I think that's one of the biggest like take-homes that I offer readers. First of all, I break down all the different types of salt that there are out, out there. Um, but knowing how to cook your, cook your veggies and how to season them using extra virgin olive oil, garlic, maybe butter, um, salt, pepper. So you're pro-butter or are you pro-ghee? Um, I like butter. I like butter. I think from a, from a health standpoint, uh, I prefer butter to ghee unless you're lactose intolerant. Um, ghee is more well tolerated by people who have dairy sensitivity because it's essentially pure dairy fat without any casein or lactose. Um, butter has trace casein and, and, and lactose in it. But from a health standpoint, I'm actually, you know, I think butter is, I think about butter more as an indulgence. Um, I'm a bigger fan of extra virgin olive oil from a, from a health standpoint, butter. And I break down all the different types of dairy in the book as well. Well, that, so um, I want to slow you down there because I find that you give me some interesting little gems here. You're like, there's different types of salt. There's different types of butter. Like, come on yeah. now. Like I'm ready to hear about them. So I put electrolytes in my water every day. And I think of you cause I'm like, that's, and I think of Sarah cause I'm like, you guys totally do that. And I'm so got a little pep in my step from them. So what can you talk a little bit about um, like electrolytes and also just the different types of salt for cooking too? Yeah. When it comes to salt, there are three major types that people I think really need to be aware of. And you might say to yourself, well, salt is salt. It's actually not. Fine salt is really imp- important for recipes. Um, it's also the kind of salt that you find in the salt shaker. So it's fine salt, very easily measured. Um, so you can be really consistent in your recipes and 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 that's kind of like what that's for. So when you're cooking any of the recipes in my book, fine salt is going to be um, the salt most appropriate to use for that. But then we have coarse or kosher salt, mm-hmm. which is a much thicker grain. Also very easy to be consistent with it, but not as good for measuring mm-hmm. because it's a bigger grain. There's going to be more, for example, air. It doesn't compress as um, tightly when you're measuring it with like a measuring spoon set, for example. Um, but really great to, to throw on uh, like steaks as you're cooking them, for example, or a burger patty. But the number one salt that I think people um, need to be aware of and need to add to their kitchens, which I'm such a huge fan of, is flake salt or Maldon salt. I don't know if you have any of that in your kitchen, yeah. but it's such an easy and low cost way to take your cooking and elevate it to restaurant like quality. It's the big, chunky salt that it, it adds this like amazing crunch. To your food, it's a finishing salt. So you don't cook with it. You don't use it like in your recipes, but you keep a jar of it on the table or you um, sprinkle a little bit on your foods just prior, just, just after plating it, like, and before bringing it out to your guests or even serving it to yourself if you're having a party of one kind of night. 
And it is so tasty. Like to me, steak isn't steak without a little bit of flake salt on top. There are a bunch of different brands. Um, it's so good. It's like, it, yeah. I mean, you'll be, you'll be, it's like addiction forming. Wow. Um, Only you, Max. Well, t- what yeah. about Himalayan salt? The pink one. Well, Himalayan salt is a good option. Um, it depends on a person's. So what I make the recommendation to steer away from more processed salts and then go towards Himalayan salt. I, I tend to like Himalayan salt. Especially because sea salts around the world have been found to be contaminated with microplastics. Okay. So, this is a big problem. Our oceans are becoming increasingly polluted. However, it's difficult to find the three different variants of salt that I mentioned um, in Himalayan pink salt form. So, yeah, do I have sea salt in my house? Yes, I do. Um, and I think that that's, that's totally fine. Certain salts are iodized. Beginning in, I believe, the 1940s, um, People started eating more vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, and our diets became depleted of iodine, which led to a lot of people becoming um, hypothyroid. And mm. what this does is it causes uh, a goiter to grow. So, um, so that's not like the that's best not thing. good. Yeah, no, it doesn't it doesn't sound like the best thing. People were were, I mean, this is at the birth of nutrition science. People were starting to develop nutrient deficiencies, and so that's when the government started to mandate that certain products, salt among them. Be iodine be um, enriched with certain essential nutrients. So you'll see added salt. You'll see salt now is usually enriched with iodine, and it has to have a label on it saying that it's not enriched if it doesn't contain iodine. And you'll also see this with like enriched wheat flour. Usually, if uh, flour has been enriched, what that means is it, it includes a few B vitamins as well as iron. That's interesting. Um, Milk is often fortified with vitamin D, yeah, to prevent widespread population deficiencies of these important nutrients, right? So I think from a public health standpoint, these are all great innovations. Um, but in regard to salt, which you know, iodized salt, usually they they have to add sugar to the salt to stabilize the iodine. So you'll find dextrose um, in iodized salt. You'll also sometimes you'll you'll see like aluminum, which is a heavy metal. So I in tend salt? not to in salt. Yeah, that doesn't sound like good news. No, it's not. That's okay. why I tend to steer away from iodized salt. However, I also eat foods, you know, I'm aware of this and I eat foods that have iodine in it, like egg yolks. And um, I eat a lot of like shellfish and stuff yeah. like that. So for people that don't regularly eat those foods, you know, that could be a problem cutting out the iodized salt. But, um, you know, I would say you shouldn't really need to have your salt iodized if you're eating a, a nutrient dense diet that contains iodine. Okay, well, then I have to ask you about electrolytes because I'm putting salty electrolytes in my water. And I also want to ask about too much salt because I feel like a lot of people are oversalted and we're like a big puff walking around with too much salt in our body. So how do we figure that line out? Is that something we figure out at the doctor with blood work? Or what do you recommend for people to find that balance of cooking and allowing it to be more enjoyable because of those three different salts you'd mentioned uh, or four or five by the time we were done with it? But then also... um, you know, not overdoing it with the salt and just being one big bloat blob. Yeah. Not overdoing it. Well, I'm, yeah. I, lo- I love that you asked this because it's another thing that I cover in the book because it's such a confusing um, topic for most people. The reality is that only 11% of the salt that the average American consumes comes from their salt shaker or the, or the food that they prepare in their own homes, right? The vast majority of sodium in a person's diet comes from uh, packaged processed foods and restaurant food, which includes fast food. Yeah. Um, restaurant food, tends to be very salty, in particular fast food and our ultra-processed food products that Americans now overconsume to the order of 60% of their calories every day come from these ultra-processed foods are tend to be loaded with sodium. Um, 
I think once you become more mindful of the foods that you're uh, consuming and you start to reduce your intake of those kinds of foods, which are not good for you for a myriad of different reasons, your sodium levels come down. And again, only 11% of the salt that people um, are ingesting come from their salt shakers. So, so to me, it's completely misguided advice to say, don't salt your food or be more uh, delicate with the salt shaker. To me, the advice should be, if you do find yourself over consuming sodium, it should be minimize your consumption of ultra processed foods, which tend to be loaded with salt. And just, you know, just for what it's worth, the number one source of dietary sodium in the American diet comes not from canned foods, doesn't come from processed meats. It comes from commercial bread and rolls. Wow. The consumption of bread. Yeah. Well, and there's sugar in there too. I mean, the more we talk. Okay. So this is where I want to ask you, and I want to also ask you about the different types of dairy, but um, what is, if, if you were eating from your recipe book, um, cause I want to get excited about it. I'm so excited that you have this coming out. Like everybody, you got, you guys have to get it. It's, I mean, come on, it's max. What are some of your favorite things? If you had one day left to live max and you were like, I'm going to live by my recipe book, what would you have for breakfast, lunch, dinner? What would be your biggest choices? Simple recipes that people could get excited about doing right now. Oh man, there's so many recipes in the book that I'm just like obsessed with. I don't know if I could pick one, but there is a cheesy egg res- recipe in the book that doesn't have any actual cheese in it. It has uh, nutritional yeast, which I'm a huge fan of. If you guys, you know, I'm surprised actually. There's a lot of people that haven't yet heard of nutritional yeast. I think it's something that like it's actually one of the better aspects of the vegan diet. I'm not a yeah. vegan and I and I don't endorse veganism, but they know about they know how good nutritional yeast is. Yeah. And it's something that I've taken. And, uh, and I, I'm completely unapologetic for it because this product is so great. It's a single ingredient food. It's just, it's, it's part of the Ooh. fungi kingdom, Yeah. Um, but it tastes like cheese. It tastes like Parmesan cheese and it, ha- it packs a nutritional wallop. So oftentimes you'll find it has B vitamins added to it. Um, great source of protein. And, uh, it just tastes so good on eggs and salad dressings. I'm such a huge fan. So I would probably eat, uh, a scramble in my book that includes that, um, it's like a cheesy but no cheese egg scramble dish, which is just so freaking good. Mm. Uh, for lunch, I would have to say I have this rib recipe in the book that I'm obsessed with. I've created my own sugar-free rib rub. Wow. Um, and I'm a big fan of barbecue. Yeah. But I don't like – I mean, oftentimes when you go and get barbecued at a restaurant, usually the ribs or, or the brisket or whatever slathered <laughs> in sauce loaded with, with sugar, right? So I've created this amazing rib rub. That is sweet and savory, but has no added sugar in it. And I give a recipe for people that allows them to create really delicious fall off the bone ribs just in their oven. So you don't need a big smoker. You don't need a barbecue. You can create them in the oven using a slow and a low and slow cooking method that I talk about in the book. Really important for melting down collagen and connective tissue and turning it into butter soft gelatin, which is so tasty when you eat like really well cooked ribs or brisket or even dark meat chicken or chicken wings. Um, the low and sm- slow method is, is really important. So I have this like rib recipe in the book. I would without question, choose that for, uh, for lunch. And then if it were my last dinner, I would say there's a Portuguese recipe in the book that I offer my own twist on for bacalao, which is uh, salted codfish. And it's mm-hmm. a recipe actually that my mom used to make for me. And that's how I discovered the recipe. Um, it was my favorite dish that she would ever make. My mom's not Portuguese or anything like that, but it's just something that she like, she loved and she, she learned how to make it and she would make it for me um, every so often. And so I pay homage to her and to that 
uh, to that recipe with my own little twist that's in the book. And um, I'd probably eat that for dinner. Just because it's awesome. like, it's so, to me, yeah, it's like so tasty. It's so nourishing, satiating, loaded with protein, healthy fats. But it's also like, you know, it reminds me of like, of my mom, which is yeah. my why and why I've, you know, oh, why I do anything that I do. Exactly. You're like, I have two loves, media and music. And I'm like, no, you have three. You love your mom. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I also want to ask like about quick wins. Like I find that nutritional yeast, different oils, different salts. It's like quick little wins when you're cooking. Um, are there some herbs that you like to have right on hand or what's your theory about it? Like, do you get them in the bottle? Do you get them fresh? Is it really that different? Like what are some, cause if there's anything I've learned from my doctor, it's that don't just make a salad with romaine, have romaine, spring greens, mint, this, that, like have variety in your in your stuff. Uh, I sound very educated on the topic. So can you tell me a little oh, yeah. bit more about the quick wins? Yeah. Quick wins. I mean, I think, you know, spices and herbs and spices get their own section in my book as well. I talk about, um, the fact that herbs and spices are again, like talking about taking single ingredient items and turning them into food. Herbs and spices are really important for doing that. And they do so without adding a ton of extra calories, unlike sauces. So sauces tend to have a lot of added they tend to bring a lot of added fat calories and sugar calories to your food, which, you know, I'm not demonizing like a good sauce. I love a good sauce and, and I have a few recipes for sauces just, you know, by themselves in my book. But um, but herbs and spices, I think, super, super important. And one of the things, I mean, they offer so much flavor in such a little package. And part of that has to do with the fact that they are packed highly with highly concentrated compounds that offer you a health benefit while also improving, you know, and, and, and enhancing the, the taste of your food. Um, some of the most studied spices are turmeric, which has curcumin, which is a very powerful anti-inflammatory compound. There's cinnamon, which we know has anti-hyperglycemic effects. So people that are struggling with blood sugar, they want to bring their blood sugar down. Cinnamon is a really powerful, um, almost medicinal food to use in your, in your cooking. Even in your has, coffee. I like to put a little cinnamon in my coffee. Yeah. Cinnamon. Cinnamon's great. Ceylon. Yeah. That's a quick win. Ceylon cinnamon in particular is really great. Cinnamon um, cassia is the, is one of the more common. You want to look on the bottle of your cinnamon to make sure that it's not cinnamon cassia because if you consume that every day, it could uh, pose a threat to liver health because um, it contains a compound in it called coumarin, which is hepatotoxic. Um, not good for liver health, but cinnamon um, verum or cinnamon... Uh, Ceylon. Yeah. Ceylon cinnamon is... Um, is the best cinnamon to use, but really great, really great. Also, cinnamon in the body is metabolized to a compound called sodium benzoate, which is actually used in processed foods as a preservative, but our own bodies manufacture this compound when we consume cinnamon, which has been shown to have um, neuroprotective effects and in particular be protective against Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. So yeah, another reason why I'm a, I'm a huge fan of cinnamon from the standpoint of neurological health, which is a, a topic that I'm super passionate about. But Herbs are also really important. You want to make sure, you know, some of them are best used dry. For example, you know, having dry oregano is a spice that it works, you know, whether it's, you actually won't, I can't remember if I've even seen fresh oregano in any of the times that I've ever been to a supermarket, but obviously fresh parsley, fresh cilantro, these are the herbs that we want to use fresh. And the reason why using some fresh is important, it's because they contain what are called volatile organic compounds that get destroyed by heat. So, you know, in some of the recipes in my book that 
require parsley, for example, you'll, you'll see you add parsley like later in the cooking process as opposed mm. to earlier. You never want to use it early on in the cooking process. So there's a lot about timing and cooking as well that you're educating us on through the book. A lot. I mean, I offer recipes for even basic foods that like, I mean, I have over a hundred recipes in the book, but I had to include ways to make really simple foods that I thought that people just ought to know how to cook. So, I mean, I hesitate to call it a recipe, but I offer, uh, I, I teach people how to create, for example, the, like the ultimate burger, like just creating a burger patty seems something that would be so easy, but so many people screw it up. You'd be surprised. For example, you know, I can't tell you how many supermarkets I've been in where you can buy preformed burgers and within the burger, they have like chopped up onions, pieces of bell pepper. There's no way that the onion particles within a burger patty are going to be caramelized, you know, and turn into like the, like the soft, delicious kind of onions that I think we're attempting when we put onions in the middle of a burger patty in the time that it takes to cook the burger. So you're going to overcook the burger. The onions are not going to be sufficiently caramelized. So to make the ultimate burger patty, you just got to keep it simple. Just pure meat, just meat. That's it. Don't try to add anything into the burger patty, just meat. You throw it on the pan and then you sprinkle some salt on it. That's literally the only thing that you need to do to make a delicious burger. Nothing else. People like tend to overcomplicate this stuff, and I think it's really to uh, to the detriment of their food. And they wonder why restaurant food tends to taste so much better. Hey, U-Turners. I want to take this moment to say that this episode is sponsored in part by SaneBox, an email tool that I have been using every single day to be more productive and less scattered. With the average person working and getting 100 to 200 emails a day, I don't know about you, but I've been fighting the fight with email for a few years now, and after continuously losing, I decided that I needed help. I did my research, and I was so excited to find SaneBox as an affordable tool for my Gmail, and it works with any other email provider, really, that can sort your emails for you before you open up your laptop and get lost in the sauce. All you'll see once you download it is on your sidebar where there's words like inbox or trash. There will be a couple other new folders that I'm totally obsessed with. One is called Sane Later, which is pretty much code for all the emails coming in that you don't need to see. And the other one, my favorite one, is called the Sane Black Hole, which is where you can drag and drop emails that you just don't want to be subscribed to anymore. The Sane Later box automatically uses artificial intelligence to know that you don't want that email and it puts it right there in that folder. Every few days, I check my Sane Later folder, skim through it, and I'm just so happy to be saving so much time. I used to spend every single morning overwhelmed by my inbox and now I have so much more time on my hands thanks to SaneBox. So for the first couple of weeks, I monitored my SaneBox once a day and dragged and dropped messages from senders that I would have wanted in my regular inbox. And now I find that it perfectly knows who should and shouldn't be waking their way in my inbox. So head on over to www.sanebox.com slash U-turn. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to access 14 days of SaneBox for free and a $25 credit to get a serious discount on the super affordable year membership now. It's time we all get out of our inbox and back into our life. Now let's get back to this week's episode. 
another thing that I want to ask you about, um, beyond like the, and I love quick wins. Cause to me, I feel like that's realistic. People can throw some turmeric on their vegetables when they're sauteing them with their extra virgin olive oil and putting the right salt on top at the end. Um, you know, we can put yeast nutritional yeast, which by the way, if you've never seen it before, it's like a little flaky thing. It's so good. It's really good. You can get it at like, but you kind of got to get that at like a specialty thing that they're not at like Vaughn's are they? Uh, you can find nutritional yeast at Vons, I think. I mean, I, I'm not sure because I can't remember the last time I've been in a Vons, but it's pretty pretty easy to find. I, you know, you can find it on Amazon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's where I get mine. Actually, I get because you know nutritional yeast sometimes because it's it is big. It's a big food for vegans. They they love it. You'll find it fortified with B vitamins. Um, but you can find uh, I I you know I I recommend omnivory for people. That's that's my dietary um, the you know, my stance on that. And, uh, I get plenty of B vitamins in the foods that I eat. And so I look to buy nutritional yeast that is unfortified with B vitamins. And it's kind of hard to find that in supermarkets, but you can find it on, um, Amazon. So that's what I buy. Cool. Okay. And kind of going back to, um, I don't know this idea that everybody right now is listening and they've got some stuff in their fridge. What are some things that you're just like, please throw that away. Like get that out of your fridge. Like if, if you care about your next step in your health. Oh yeah. I would say, I mean, the big thing for people is go through your, your sauces and look for sauces that contain, um, and this includes salad dressings too, which is a major, uh, source of this stuff, but the grain and seed oils, canola oil, corn oil, soybean oil, soybean oil is a big one in salad dressings. Sometimes it's labeled as vegetable oil, which, uh, is kind of a misnomer because soybeans, soy is their legumes. So it's like, you know, it's a, it's a legume oil. Um, I think these are pretty unhealthy from the standpoint, certainly of the brain, um, but also the body and our, our consumption of these foods has just like skyrocketed over the past hundred years because, you know, prior to a hundred years ago, we hadn't had the labs or the chemistry sets required to create these kinds of oils, you know, extra virgin olive oil is a natural food that humans have been pressing and consuming for thousands of years Mm because to make extra virgin olive oil, all you do is you crush olives, right? It's a perfect food. It's anti-inflammatory. It's heart healthy. It's great. It's a staple in the Mediterranean region of the world where, you know, they have reduced rates of cardiovascular disease and of Alzheimer's disease and, and other chronic non-communicable, non-communicable conditions. But it's the grain and seed oils that have flooded, no pun intended, the modern food supply. Our diets are now awash in them. And... The reason why they're unhealthy. So, I mean, a lot of people are confused. They do actually, you know, for people struggling with, for example, high levels of LDL cholesterol, one of the quickest ways to drop your LDL cholesterol is to swap out saturated fats for polyunsaturated fats, which are the kinds of fats found predominantly in grain and seed oils like canola oil, corn oil, and soybean oil. But studies from uh, 20 years ago at this point, I think the the paper um, that I'm thinking of was published in 1999. What it finds is that these these fats, these polyunsaturated fats, get integrated into our they get into integrated into our tissue, so our brain tissue, our adipose tissue, which is our fat tissue. But they also get lugged around by the lipoproteins like LDL, like the um, our LDL particles. And because these fats are so these fatty acids are so prone to this form of chemical damage called oxidation, it makes the LDL particles more prone to oxidize themselves and to um, get taken up by immune cells, which then lead to this process called atherosclerosis, whereby you, it's like the clogged artery syndrome where a foam cell is created, there's a fatty streak, and then we develop this calcification ultimately in our arteries. And 
I think that um, by overindulging on these on these uh, these grain and seed oils, we make that situation more likely to be the case. And we don't have the long term large population randomized control trials to really tease out whether or not that's that's true. But that would be my hypothesis. So even though they lower LDL, I think that from a cardiovascular standpoint, they're actually they're way worse for your health than. Um, than monounsaturated fats, the fats in extra virgin olive oil, for example. Okay. I also want to ask you like this, we hear this buzz term or we hear a lot about gut health and we hear a lot about being inflamed. So can you talk a little bit about what is the problem with being inflamed? What is making us so inflamed? And um, why are you counting on these quick foods um, and changes to our diet to not be inflamed? Because I know, you know, my doctor once told me like, when you have a headache, it's because your brain is inflamed uh, sometimes. So I, I would love to just kind of get your take on that whole thing. Yeah. So inflammation is an, is a normal, um, aspect of our immune function that really has evolved over millennia to spot clean wounds, cups, cuts, scrapes. When we have an infection, um, it's the heat, it's the swelling that you see when you sprain your ankle, for example, today, our immune systems are responding not to these acute, these kinds of acute insults, but to how we're living our lives and what we're eating. Now, for the most part, if you're overweight, if you have type 2 diabetes, which are largely diet and lifestyle-driven conditions, um, you're going to be inflamed. And and so this chronic low-grade inflammation, which is at the cornerstone of of non-communicable diseases like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, um, you're going to be at higher risk for those for those conditions. So by Cutting down on your calorie intake by reducing your weight, getting down to a normal, healthy weight, um, that's going to go a long way towards normalizing and, and ultimately lowering levels of inflammation in your body. Um, there are also, you know, foods that can that can contribute to inflammation, but these tend to be the ultra processed foods uh, that we talked about. Foods with lots of chemical additives, um, like industrial industrially created chemical additives. Um, oxidative byproducts found in these kinds of grain and seed oils that I was talking about, especially in the context of um, restaurant food, like oils that have been in the fryer all day, have compounds like aldehydes that can drive inflammatory processes in the body. Um, so yeah, eating a eating a whole foods diet that is inclusive of you know properly raised animal products, whole plants, definitely associated with reduced uh, inflammation. Um, and so, yeah, you do have, you do have say, I mean, inflammation can be driven by a number of being overly sedentary can drive inflammation. I mean, you can, you'll see increased levels of inflammation if your sleep is disturbed. Um, you know, one night of poor sleep, you're essentially pre-diabetic the next day. So, I mean, that could, uh, that could drive up, um, acute markers of inflammation, Interesting. Uh, but we do have a say. Yeah, we do have a say when it comes to levels of inflammation in our body. And I think the, the biggest wins for most people, eat a di- consume a diet like the diet that I recommend in Genius Kitchen, predominantly whole foods, minimally processed, free of the grain and seed oils, minimally uh, refined um, you know, food products, certainly no refined grains, minimize the added sugar, uh, stuff like that. You know, you eat a lot of eggs. That's something I know about you. And I also know that there's like sometimes some controversy around eggs. Like people will argue that there's viruses in them or I mean, there's got to be viruses and bacteria and everything. But do you have any take on eggs in general? And we're also in a world with a lot of food sensitivities because of poor gut health. So 
Um, I, per- I actually, I'm just asking because I'm biased, Max. I took a food sensitivity test and eggs showed up as something that I shouldn't really be eating a lot of. I love eggs. So can you tell me a little bit about like, do you have any stance on that or is this yeah. just a fine question? Yeah. Tell food, me. Food sensitivity tests can be a sign of leaky gut or, you know, the, the medical jargon term is intestinal permeability. Um, so I don't know if I necessarily trust those, uh, with regard to specific foods, sometimes just healing your gut, um, and cutting out the foods that are leading to this undue increased intestinal permeability can, um, reduce your sensitivity to those foods. Um, with regard to eggs, growing viruses. Yeah. That's something that I think has been perpetuated by the medical medium. Who's like some, you know, I don't even, I probably shouldn't have even, uh, named him, but I can edit it. (laughs) So, no, I mean sometimes they sometimes they'll they'll grow viruses in albumin culture, uh, but that doesn't mean that like when you eat an egg that that's it's growing viruses in you. It's just like this, you know, to somebody who doesn't know anything about science or biology, like that might make sense. But um, you know, they feed sugar to bacteria and viruses, right? But does that mean that when you eat sh- the sugar found in whole fruit that you're feeding viruses and bacteria? No. Um, the same way that the fat that you eat doesn't become the fat on your hips necessarily, or the cholesterol in eggs, you know, has very little uh, impact on blood cholesterol. Um, it's just, uh, it doesn't make any sense, you know, and all, especially, to, especially. This reminds with, me, Max, when I was a little kid, I used to be scared that if I ate a watermelon, that the seeds would like grow watermelons inside of me. Wow. I mean, that sounds yeah. painful, but yeah. um, thankfully it doesn't, it doesn't really work like that. Although the seeds of fruit do contain toxic compounds in them. Like for example, there's, I believe, is it ceramide or arsenic in uh, apple seeds? I don't think it's arsenic. I think it's what it's like. Well, then you get to this point, which I think about for you all the time, where I'm like, at a certain point, like all these healthy foods get you in this circle, like dairy and eggs and this and that, where suddenly you're like, I don't want to eat anything. There's a toxic everything. So like kind of going back to you about dairy, what's your take there? Because we are in a world that's very lactose intolerant. Um, and a lot of people don't know they have it. I know I have it. Um, but I didn't figure it out till college. Like, why do I get such a bad stomach ache? And now I know. So yeah, what's your take on the different types of dairy and also nut milks? And then I swear I will let you go. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people, 75% of people globally are lactose intolerant. Um, the other 25% has lactase persistence, which means that they continue to produce the enzyme lactase, which is the enzyme that breaks down lactose, which is the sugar in milk. So if you don't have lactase, that means that you cease to be able to digest milk sugar, which can then get, then passes to the large intestine. It gets fermented by bacteria and leads to all kinds of symptoms that you, I'm sure you'd rather not discuss. Um, you can actually supplement when you're eating dairy. Uh, concurrently with lactase enzyme and you'll be fine. If you're lactose intolerant, that's actually how they make a lot of the quote unquote lactose friendly or um, lactose intolerant friendly milks. They'll just add lactase enzyme to the milk product. Mm -hmm. Um, Generally, if you're not sensitive to dairy, I'm a fan of it. There's no need to consume dairy though. Um, But it is a pristine source of, of protein So dairy consistently ranks among the most digestible, the highest quality proteins that, that exist. Um, also a great source of unique and highly bioavailable micronutrients like, um, vitamin K2, which is found in grass fed dairy, uh, in higher quantities. Um, but yeah, my, I don't really have a hard and fast rule to dairy consumption. I do personally enjoy uh, whey protein shakes, um, really high quality protein, and my daily dairy consumption ranges from zero to two servings a day. You know, sometimes I enjoy a little bit of Greek yogurt um, or, as I mentioned, a whey protein shake. But I, I do really like nut milks. You know, I'm, I have almond milk in my fridge. Um, 
great, great alternative. Um, you know, There's I would also say a slippery slope. Sorry to interrupt you. I'm not an expert on this, but like, isn't there a slippery slope with like oat milk being very sugary? Like, how do you kind of navigate all these alternative milks? I feel like everything's turning into a milk. Like there's going to yeah. be like a, a grape milk. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so can you kind of, what do we, how do we choose? Grape milk, AKA wine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think, I mean, when you're buying no milks, you want to make sure that it, they're unsweetened. I mean, primarily unsweetened, I think is important. You want to look also on the label to make sure that there are no added oils. I think a lot of oat milks add canola oil or rapeseed oil, which I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't personally like to consume, um, with any, with any regularity. Uh, also a lot of almond milks use, um, industrial synthetic emulsifiers like polysorbate 80 carboxymethylcellulose. These are just a few of them. Um, and I talked about these in genius foods and I, I bring them up again in genius kitchen because, you know, in animal studies, these, uh, these emulsifiers have been shown to be disruptive to the gut mucosa, which is really important for reducing inflammation, um, maintaining, uh, immune health, gut health. And so some of, some of these, um, synthetic emulsifiers have been shown to really, um, be damaging to that, to that sort of barrier in between your gut lumen, which contains the bacteria and viruses and fungi that live in your gut and your, and the food that you're digesting, of course, and your gut epithelium. So you want to steer clear of any, uh, of these nut milks that contain those, uh, two emulsifiers in particular. Um, but generally, you know, if you're buying like some of the bigger brands, they won't contain that. Usually they just have, you know, a few gums and stuff in them, but I do appreciate that, uh, an unsweetened cup of almond milk, a serving has only 30 to 40 calories in it, which I think is like really great to have that kind of like creamy satiating milk like experience for your cereal or whatever it is that you're eating. Um, but without like the, without tons and tons of calories, some of the more artisanal nut milks, you know, they'll, they, they boast that they have more almonds or whatever it is like per cup, but then that tends to jack the calories up a lot. So that's just something that I think that people should be mindful of. Interesting. Is there like a brand that you trust the most or I'm just curious, like when you're buying your almond milk? Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty privileged in the sense that I shop, I get to shop at Whole Foods, you know, yeah. very grateful for that. And whatever brands they have there, usually I think it's like, you know, almond breeze or like whatever, yeah. that's what I tend to buy. But I always look and I buy the unsweetened version. God. Okay. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. You've come so far since we were, you know, crashing at Sarah and Craig's house and in the hills and you were building so your stuff. Yeah. That was a whole, we were like on the real world together is what it yeah. felt like. Um, thank you so much for coming back on. Where can everybody find the book? Um, we'll be sure to air this right when it's out. I'm so excited for you. You're the best. Well, thank you, Ashley. Always great to see your pretty face. Woo! And uh, yeah, the book is available everywhere. Books are sold, but you can go to genius kitchen book com geniuskitchenbook.com and if you're if you're pre-ordering or, or able to order on the day that the book comes out we've got some free bonus goodies i have a free pdf ebook that i wrote called 15 daily steps to lose weight and prevent disease that you'll get for free along with when you you know order genius kitchen um and then i host my own podcast called the genius life and i'm very active on instagram at max lugavir so come and say hi thank you again for coming on you're the best Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. 
Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-turns. We'll see you next week.